We begin with a reading from the book of Daniel, chapter 6, verses 10 through 22. Although Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he continued to go to his house, which had windows in its upper room, open toward Jerusalem, and to get down on his knees three times a day, to pray to his God and praise him, just as he had done previously. The conspirators came and came and found Daniel praying and seeking mercy before his God. Then they approached the king and said concerning the interdict, O king, did you not sign an interdict that anyone who prays to anyone, divine or human, within thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into a den of lions? The king answered, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they responded to the king, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the interdict you have signed. But he is saying his prayers three times a day when the king heard the charge. He was very much distressed. He was determined to save Daniel. And until the sun went down, he made every effort to rescue him. Then the conspirators came to the king and said to him, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no interdict or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king gave the command, and Daniel was brought and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you faithfully serve, deliver you. A stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, so that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No food was brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king got up and hurried to the den of lions. When he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out anxiously to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you faithfully serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel then said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they would not hurt me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no wrong. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What we find in this very familiar story is the fact that it is not quite as familiar as we would have it. Daniel and the lion's den is imaged in some of our children's coloring books in cartoonish illustrations. I grew up watching Veggie Tales and remember it being depicted in a children-friendly way. And of course, 
we have the sense in which the events of the life of this prophet, living oh so long ago, in such a different time and place, seems quite remote to us. An image perhaps in stained glass, an image perhaps in a mosaic, a story that seems quite quaint. And yet as we listen to the word, as we encounter the word again, we find how frighteningly relevant, how frighteningly applicable, how violently real, and how genuinely hopeful the word actually is. We all know from the time of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, through the great upheavals of the 20th century with communism, to the current events going on right now in China, to issues of racially charged incarcerations in our own nation, the reality of good men and women of God being taken unlawfully into custody, stabbed in the back by sometimes their own compatriots, and treated in ways which are abhorrent against justice. And yet what we find in the book of Daniel, what we find in chapter 6, is a kind of image which I believe in our time together, as we take a closer look as a family of God, will actually show to us a narrative that can teach us something practical about what it means to face some of these dens of lions that we face. Now, we have in our store resources commentaries on the word which give us a greater historical socioeconomic context for the times in which the Bible describes. Daniel doesn't live a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. He lives in the times here of the Medes and Persians, though his work goes much further back. We know a lot about that civilization. We know, for example, that according to an author, Anethia Poitier-Young, that there were genuine attempts of court intrigue within the Medo-Persian Mesopotamian world. And in these courts of intrigue, the idea of being thrown to the lion's den seems to have been an idiom of speech, where someone who was thrust out of the favor of those in power now how to beg for their own food, and in doing so was metaphorically hurled to the lions. And yet at the same time we know from archaeological work that there actually really was a lion's den, and that people were executed there. We know from the work of Eric Seedberg in the pervasive presence of virtuous violence in the Old Testament. The fact that time and time again, we see how violent the ancient world was as the modern world is, where all those outside the ark face these, these terrible punishments and plagues as we find in Exodus, but also to the treatment of those in power to those who were not. We can find this easily in the narrative of Daniel chapter 6. We didn't read this part out loud, but those who rose up against Daniel, the satraps, the authorities, those who were 
the conspirators that we read about, that they themselves were hurled into the very den of lions that they planned to put Daniel in, and that they and their families were brutally massacred. These were times where it truly was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And we forget the influence of Christianity on the Western world in that we have developed this idea of civil rights, that every man and woman is made in the image and likeness of God and has dignity, even if we fail to live up to that ideal. At least we have it as a kind of ideal. And yet, we don't see that necessarily in the ancient world. We don't see that necessarily for those conspirators. They are not put in a kind of incarceration at the end. They meet out a very violent end, along with their wives and children. And that raises interesting thorny questions about the role of government and of power. You know, in a commentary that was given by John Collins and uh, Adele Yarbrough Collins, there was a discussion of an alternative version of Daniel. It was composed about 150 BCE by a man named Theodosius, at least it's attributed to him. And has a slightly different version where instead of all the satraps and all those in authority conspiring against Daniel, it's only two conspirators. And in that version, instead of referring to him one of the exiles from Judah, they refer to him as a friend of Darius the king, which then raises the very interesting question about whether this is a more accurate historical memory rather than the version that we have here in Scripture, or whether it's just an alternative version among many. Now, I obviously believe in the authority of the biblical text, and I believe that it is exactly as God has intended, although not always appropriately understood within its cultural and historical context, and not always mediated in a fair or in, in an accessible way in light of our contemporary concerns, and it, within the language of the time. What I will say this is whether it was two courtiers or whether it was a whole lot of courtiers, I find it interesting that Daniel is a just man. He simply wants to worship his God freely according to his conscience. And what we find, quite tragically, is the fact that he is betrayed not by necessarily a foreign power or entity, He's not betrayed by the rival army of another citadel coming to march against his king. He is betrayed by his co-workers, by the men he has spent time with, eating with, talking with, politicking with. Not quite being betrayed by one of the twelve as in the New Testament, but you see that parallelism. And what we find again is though Daniel... Uh, is beloved by the king. Now, Darius is a good king and trying to do the best he can. We find here that he is unwilling to stand against the precedent of the law of the Medes and Persians. His hands are literally supposedly tied, which makes matters even more estesthetically worse for Daniel. And then, of course, what we find most horrendously is that in doing so, and being thrown into the den of lions, as though being thrown into the tomb. There is an overwhelming sense in which Daniel must face this challenge in 
all appearances alone. Unlike the intertextuality that has been discussed, where Daniel faces many struggles earlier, or when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three other figures in Daniel, are thrown into a fiery furnace, Daniel does not go into the den with a whole host behind him. It's him and it's God, and it's the lions who, of course, according to biblical typology, are often associated with the powers of darkness. What the pandemic accomplished for most of us was to be caught in a shut-in existence with the thorns of our own thoughts. What this fundamentally accomplished was a kind of spiritual retreat into the tomb, into the den. And while many of us had loving family, some of us did not, while many of us had support systems, many fellow disabled people I know, or differently abled people I know, did not receive the same level of support. And so it was important to create networks of faith to try to attend to them. We hear in the text how an angel appeared to support Daniel in the den of lions. And the term angel, while we think of in the English language, of a figure with wings, what we find in scripture is a very different idea. It can mean a whole host of celestial figures, but it also means angelos in Greek, which means messenger. And we as Christians, to those who are elderly, to those who are differently abled, to those who are caught in situations of unlawful imprisonment or persecution of any kind, we like that angelos, that image perhaps of Jesus as a theophany in the Old Testament, we are called to enter into those places and to help minister as loving ears open to listen before we speak. To offer words of comfort, to set at liberty, if not those who are captive physically at times, though we must do that for the sake of social justice at times, but at the bare minimum, to speak the liberating gospel of the good news. Jordan Sheets, in his intertextuality of the canonical book of Daniel, points out is that parallelism, where Nebuchadnezzar earlier in the book of Daniel, a mighty monarch of power over Babylon, persecutes the Israelites, that we see similar themes here. And we find a parallelism with Darius and the conspirators. But what I find remarkable is that Darius, as a king, is given an opportunity to sign into a legislation that places himself above all other divine figures and above all other human figures. This points to the ongoing problem of, on one hand, Darius's ignorance or self-willed laziness, not to pay attention to the legislation coming to him. Well, it's a law like any other law. It comes to me all the time. I just sign the legislation, it's there only to realize that it will later on put into disastrous effect the dangerous implementation of harm, potential harm, to his friend Daniel. And in the same way, we can, like Darius at times, you know, go about our daily lives, you know, hear about uh, forms of systemic forms of oppression, and go about our daily existence and think, well, you know, all right, this is just the way it has gone on, and I'm simply going with the flow. 
But unless we face these sources of injustice from the very beginning, unless we confront them from the start, they can and they will continue to creep up on us. The book of Daniel, ultimately for me, is a sign of civil disobedience. Daniel continues to pray, though he knows the edict. It's a sign of civil disobedience in the sense that Daniel does not try to create a bloody coup d'etat against a corrupt regime, filled with conspirators, but instead submits himself even to the point of knowing he could potentially suffer through non-violent means. And then even more beautifully for me, ultimately, Daniel ensures that his fidelity, that his walk, is such that the only point of accusation against him is that of his fidelity to God. Do we walk, do I walk in such a manner? These are profound points of meditation which lead us to see in this book Yes, a violent, yes, a at times gruesome, yes, an at times troubling image of our own day and age, and yet also an opportunity to stand up to the plate, to face the challenges of our own present day, to go with Daniel and, yes, with our Lord, even to the den of lions, even to the cross, and in doing so, to be vindicated. The question is, would we foil under the pressure, or like Daniel, would we actually do to carry out the most dangerous act imaginable to the powers of darkness? Will we actually get on our knees and will we actually pray? And then dare to put those prayers with faithfulness and love towards our neighbor into action. <laughs>